0: Well, it was bound to happen. I made a mistake. I you'll hear me say season 1 episode 6 when in fact this is season 1 episode 5. We are talking about sellers today. Hope you all enjoy the show. and welcome to Get Real. My name is Josh Morgan, aka The Renovating Realtor.
1: And I'm Gavin Townsend, longtime real estate investor with a background in education in the arts turned licensed sale professional.
0: We're two realtors in the Western New York area who love talking all things real estate. We cover a wide variety of topics with an aim to educate and entertain you. No matter your role as a buyer, seller, investor, enthusiast, or another real estate professional.
1: You can trust that we're always going to be up front and honest no matter what topic we're discussing.
0: So listen up and get ready to, to get, get real. real. Rock and roll. We are on season one, episode six. And it is all about sellers. Gavin, what do we know about sellers?
1: Sellers are yellers. Oh, I
0: love it. They may (laughs) not, but you know what? It's, and there's a good reason for it, though. It is. It's a big thing for them. We see it every day, and I'm going to say this, and we're going to keep saying it. It's just, that's a big thing for them. They have, it's a big asset. It's a lot of money. Certainly. They are very particular sometimes, which they should be. They need it to go well, but that's why they've hired us.
1: Right, exactly. I mean, we understand pride of ownership. We understand if you've taken this house and made it your own. Um, we understand what your goals are as sellers in terms of your right housing, your downsizing, housing, whatever opportunities you're going to take advantage of by the sale of that home. We get it, um, but we also have to pay attention to what's going in the market. We can't just put um, a blank slate to this, a cookie cutter approach to, well, my neighbor got Well, my cousin Sarah said, well, five years ago, my buddy thought my house was worth this. We have to pay attention to what's going on in the market.
0: What we have to recognize is actually that not every home in the neighborhood is the same. Sometimes we have a lot of cookie cutter homes, like you said, and they will be similarly valued, but they're not all the same. We have three bedrooms. We have two bedrooms. We have four and five bedrooms all within the same area, and those are all valued differently each you know square footage carries a dollar value and so to be able to say well my neighbor got this okay if your neighbor did get that then we need to look at that and see is this exactly the same home as you have if not then we need to do what a comparative market analysis which we're already doing mm-hmm. to compare and make sure that we're comparing apples to apples
1: right And make those adjustments accordingly. So what do we always talk about? Price, condition, location. Three
0: most important things.
1: Absolutely. So, you know, when we're talking about that, really now where I think we're having to put our attention more so than ever. We should have been always paying attention to it, despite the fact that we're kind of uh, post-seller market on steroids. But condition. You're gonna have to maybe do something now, folks. Rather than just put the for sale sign in the yard, um, you know, it might be time to switch up the color of the carpet if you think it's going to yield the results that you're looking for for the price point that you think your home is worth. Yeah, it might be an opportunity to freshen paint. We're not saying that we want you to redo the house in order to sell the house. Um, if you're up for something like that, then that's one. It's a different conversation, different type of listing, but you know gone are the days where i'm just going to put the for sale sign up and let it roll because the buyers are a bit more empowered and they're a bit more savvy and they're a bit more choosy
0: well and i think it's you know this leads way to some national association realtor facts right and i think that you know i was looking them up today and first time home buyers they're coming out they're coming out in force they're like you back. said and they're looking and so according to the national association of realtors first time home buyers it, it's up 4% year over year.
1: Which is great. And despite the fact that our interest rates are going up again, you know, so a couple of years ago when we were under 3% interest rates, we were flooded with all sorts of buyers. About 30 to 40% of the market at that point in time were first time homebuyers. Um, you know, it's still happening here. Look, we've got that stat there, Josh, to show us they're back and they're on the rise.
0: Yeah, and so first time homebuyers are up 4%, investor sales are down. Six percent. Interesting. Investors, sales, investors themselves are more sensitive to the cost of capital, the I interest was just rate. Just going to say it. Why They're do we think that? Business focused people, mm-hmm. whereas so business by the numbers, right, Gavin? And we both understand that by the numbers, we're analyzing properties for rentals and investments first time home buyers they're emo- they're going to be more emotional it's not a bad thing don't get offended yeah. it's just the you're, it's you're your using, place you're, buying. you're using the property yeah. you're using the property it's yours. for yourself right. whereas investors are using the property for a return mm-hmm. so it's all about the numbers for them for first time homebuyers. and that's why i think it's up 4% because they're getting their first you know the competition is going away, per se, because investors have the money to maybe overpay right? because cost of capital was cheap, near free. So now the first-time buyers say, hey, this is my chance. You know, the, the home prices may be a little bit depressed. The interest rates are up. But what do we say about interest rates and mortgages? We date the mortgage and yeah marry the property right that's right so you know
1: I, i hear this all the time where people get nuts about the interest rate well the interest rates like this well, listen, folks, if we're still, of course, we don't want to be a double digits. Of course, we don't want to be. But when you ask some family members or uh, your parents, what did they first buy their first home at? What was the interest rate? And they're telling you well into the teens. They were, again, there were different market factors occurring at that time, too. However, you know, if we're still under double digits and we're in the sevens, we're still in an average rate that we can obtainably do something with.
0: We're still in a low. We're we're still low.
1: Yeah. Relative. We're not to... at two and three percent. That was historical, but we're still pretty good.
0: Yeah. We're getting back to the average. We're getting back to normal. Mm-hmm. You know, and here's the thing. If I told you lend me three hundred thousand dollars over thirty years, I'll pay you two percent.
1: Right. What? Yeah.
0: You're going to tell me to get out of
1: here. Exactly. Get away. It all makes sense, and it all kind of triggers different things. Now, do I understand those points going up from you know four points of a year, a year and a half ago is significant to some buyers? Yes, of course it is. Maybe you don't have the buying power that you did, but- we then have an opportunity wherein the sales prices, the listing prices, have have sort of calmed down a little bit. You know, we started talking a, a couple episodes ago, Josh, about the fact that instead of looking at six month comps or twelve month comps, we're really looking to six to three month comps because we're looking at what the original list price was yeah. and not what the sales price was necessarily. If it had all those multiple offers over asking, creating a bidding war, and then it sold. list price or something crazy like that. We're getting back to pricing it right. And if it still is that highly desirable property, price, condition, location, and you're interested as a buyer, assume that somebody else is too. And so we're still seeing multiple offers. I just don't think we're seeing as many.
0: Yeah. And one strategy that I've noticed too is is going to be the price below market value strategy to still incite those multiple offers um, one thing that I saw, a property out in the Rochester, East Rochester, you know, that market there, they had a, a beautiful log cabin mm. on five and a half acres. Like perfect. I, yeah, right. It's says this was primo property, way in demand. People want the land, two hundred and eighty nine thousand dollars. I said there's no way it's going to go for that. These people it had and I looked on, you know, the Zillow and it had like 2000 views and 185 oh, yeah. saves. <laughs> Cuz like, it's
1: a niche listing With like an that. open
0: house coming this weekend and people are going to be ready. To pounce, I'm like this property is going for 340. Like there's no way 285.
1: So they've created that stir, and so a lot of times when I'm talking to sellers, and you know we talk about price, and at the end of the day, sellers, of course, it's your prerogative, it's your choice what you list your house at. Um, we is as, as your agents, as any agent working with you, we want to see the comparables. We want to prove that that data supports your list price some way, shape, or form because buyers increasingly savvy and their agents are also running those comps we have to be cognizant of that we have to be aware of appraisal so if you accept an offer that's going to do financing sellers we need that property to appraise so that'd be great if it's a cash offer and we're not dealing with a bank and they want to offer you $500,000 for your $200,000 house great that's awesome But if we're dealing with a bank, it's got to appraise. And so it's always better to price it right and then bring it on. Then we have an opportunity for other people um, to get creative with their financing. Are they going to put a stronger down payment down? Are they going to pay down points? Are they going to do this? Are they going to do that? Are they going to do something to mitigate the risk on the appraisal should it not appraise? I'm always having that conversation with the sellers when we're talking about price because, yeah, I would love it if somebody shows up with a sack of cash in the middle of the night. For an exorbitant amount of money for your house, that would be wonderful. But if they don't, we are beholden to what a bank is going to dictate that your house is worth. And we have to deal with that.
0: Absolutely. You know, another fact, too, you were talking about cash sales. Uh, You know, I guess it's not odd, but cash sales up 2% year over year and i think that That's happens i think that happens to do with you know with the interest rate right people with cash are are you know maybe buying with cash and then later on when the interest rate goes down maybe do a refi a cash out refi mm-hmm. some sort of financing activity mm-hmm. to where they can get some of that money back and and defer some of that cost later on
1: absolutely you Um, are seeing that cash is still kicking around yeah you know i've written offers where we're we're up there we're number two but guess how we got beat out cash so don't kid yourselves sellers what does that mean to you Not always, but sometimes that means if it's a cash offer that they're thinking more about list price, maybe a little bit over. They're not going to go hog wild to sweeten the deal with somebody that's coming in with an FHA offer, right? Because they'll finance that, and to them it's about the monthly payment. Somebody with cash, and they've got it cold hard, you're not necessarily going to see all those offers over asking with cash. It just depends on the property.
0: Yeah, it's and obviously we're still looking for cash because it's it's the confidence to close Mm -hmm. is much much higher Mm -hmm. when you go to cash Yep So that's an interesting fact as well I think one of the biggest ones that we all knew that was coming is the days on the market That's huge Days on market is up significantly, you know, 19% in 2022, 33% in 20 in this year So that's big I mean days on market are increasing a lot And people are paying, like Gavin says this all the time, people are paying attention. They're paying attention. They're watching. You don't think they're watching because the market was moving so fast Mm -hmm. that they didn't have time to do anything about it. People are watching.
1: Whether you like it or not, that seller's market on steroids previously was a great training ground for people to the extent that I think it got a little bit insane. In other words, when you've got a house that stays on the market that exceeds 7, 10 days now, when things like coming out people's mouths like what's wrong with it yeah okay well let's let's go back to the day you've got veteran agents that will tell you it took 60 90 days to get an offer and maybe sell that house within six months you know in a more balanced market so yeah we had crazy delayed negotiations that were dictating a timeline for people you had a lot of people out there financed, pre ready, with interest rates were really low, and you had really desirable homes with low inventory, and that's what created that phenomenon.
0: Yeah, overall, the market is is changing. It still continues to change. We see some anomalies. You know, I've been saying it, you know, uh, anecdotally, you know, it's. I think uh, multifamilies, the prices on the multifamilies in our area, at least those prices are kind of propped up right now, propped up artificially a little bit because of the first time homebuyers. And I've seen a lot of first time homebuyers still offer quite a bit of money to, you know, beat out those investors oh, yeah. to make their offers a really attractive and and make sure that their their offer is is heard right and so we're keeping those up just a little bit you know when those uh equalize out maybe we'll see prices go back down to you know a normal where the numbers work type of thing what do you think about that i
1: think so and i think it's you know you hear me say all the time that buyers have to think like sellers and sellers this is your episode you've got to think like buyers so You know, when we start talking about your home that's going to be on the market, we want to talk about price, condition, location. Of course, those are are big things. You're going to hear us say that throughout the episode and throughout the life of this podcast. But I think it's also important to think about what kind of house you have. So is your house the dream house for someone? Is your house a good starter home for somebody else? Is it an investment property? Um, Is it something that you've loved and lived in and it's owner-occupied? What is this house? What is this flavor for the market?
0: Yeah, I think that's a good thing that you you notice that, and that's so starter home. What what what's a starter home? Has it.
1: It's like when you ask people, define move and ready. Everybody has a different definition of that, and they also... Oh, don't um, worry. We'll
0: get to that, too. You know. <laughs> and
1: is it a fixer-upper or not? Okay. Yeah. Let me tell you, green carpet and a yellow wall that can be remedied in a week or less is not a fixer-upper if the integrity there is of the home. But anyway, to answer your question about a starter home, how would you define that, Josh?
0: A starter home for me, I mean, is you. it is, you can move in and live in it. Like you said, the cosmetic updates are just cosmetic. You can go through and change. You know, if you want to put LVP down, you can tear the carpet up and put LVP down in, in the living room. You can move all the furniture out and do that. It is a starter home. You're going to make improvements. Right. But not, um, let's say, structural, architectural. Right. To me, you're getting into, that's rehab. Rehab. Yeah. That, that's rehab. That's remodeling. That's You're doing major, major, you know, structural things at that point. Yeah. You know, when you're talking about the floors and the ceilings and the walls, like we're putting in, you know, support and insulation and all this other stuff... You know, that's not, that, that's gonna be remodeled.
1: That's a remodel too, because think about the resources required. Now, it seems like everybody these days has somebody in the family that is a contractor, or you're yeah. gonna do it yourself, or in things like that. And so there are those rare occurrences where somebody's doing something like that. But otherwise, consider the fact that the available amount of contractors, um, who's gonna be responsive, and the cost to do these things. That's not typically a first time home buyer budget. And so that's why Josh is saying that wouldn't be really your typical starter home. I think size has a little bit to do with it, too, in location. Um, You know, so a lot of times you're going to find people that are first-time homebuyers. You know, I I chuckle to myself a little bit when they're like, well, I want a ranch in the country with 50 acres or whatever. And that's awesome that you know that you want that. And some first-time homebuyers might have that budget, but a lot don't. You're talking about more city inventory, smaller square footage. Um, You know, it's more of a modest thing altogether. So sellers, why does this matter to you? You've got to know how you're framing your house and how you're attracting the market that you are. Now, your house might check boxes for a bunch of different scenarios of buyers, and that's a thing of beauty. It could be somebody upgrading. It could be somebody downsizing. It could be somebody right-sizing. It could be a family. It could be a single professional. When your house, and as we have this conversation with you as your agent, Talk about all those needs that it fits to who is financed and in the market to buy, that's really important for you to pay attention to.
0: Yeah, and the whole, you know, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, this is about sellers. Why are we talking about starter homes? I don't have a starter home. Yeah, but you know what? I like the way you put it, Gavin. Sellers have to think like buyers. Have to. Because when we're thinking about what how to market your home, we're thinking not how to market it, but who mm-hmm. are we marketing it to? Who is to? going to buy this Who's home? Who's going to buy this home? Is it a three-bed, two-bath? You know, that is on my list of starter and growing family homes. Right. You know, everybody in this area wants a three-bed, two-bath. Three-bed, yeah. one-and-a-half bath. If you got that, you, you're pretty much going to be okay. Mm-hmm. You know, two-bed is going to be you know, you're just got married yeah. and you know, it might be on the more, a little bit of a side yeah. single person, or a single side, person,
1: yeah, single a person. Single
0: per, older, you know, older folks Downsizer. looking to downsize.
1: See how we're positioning that guys. <coughs> we're talking about, you know, and again, there, it's not that it's that simple all the time, but you start brainstorming and have this discussion with the seller that, okay, what we got here, what, what are the facts and figures and data related to the house? Okay. So this is who it could fit and you might have a niche house yeah. It could be in a really unique location with a lot of land. Maybe it has a lot of uh, fabulous outbuildings. Maybe you have a workshop. Then we start getting into some other things about that, and then again, of course, the price is changing, the marketing plan is changing, and all of that.
0: Absolutely, yeah. So it's important to understand, you know, what a starter home is, and and understand, you know, what people think a starter home is, because it's sometimes confusing when you're talking to sellers, and you know, maybe they haven't maintained their home the best, or it just, they're trying to sell it as part of, you know, grandpa's estate. Right. You know, and it's just like, oh, well, I think this home is is great. And it's like, all right. Well, it's got some work to do. You know, it's, there's some moisture here. There's some issues here, you know, these need to be repaired or dealt with, you know, so are we going to do that? You know, maybe this isn't a starter home. Maybe this is going to be for someone who has more resources to be able to deal with this. So maybe it's not for the, the first time home buyer, it's for maybe the experienced home buyer.
1: That's a good way of saying it.
0: Someone who might be living in the property, but isn't you know contingent on the sale of their property to buy this property so that they can take the time and, and fix it how they want.
1: That's exactly right. And the other thing I always remind my sellers of is you have to understand where the majority of the buyers are financed. So most people are gonna be financing the purchase of their home. And so are they all conventional buyers? No. No. And um, we're seeing a lot more FHA than we did in the previous market. So that's kind of coming back. You're seeing some VA, some USDA, some federally backed programs. And that's great because it's giving a little bit more leverage and choice for the buyers to do that now. In the previous market, the sellers were like, if it ain't cash and it ain't conventional, I ain't touching it. Well, what is your motivation to sell and what is your time frame? And right. if you didn't maintain things... Um, or you have a house that you inherited for whatever reason, or maybe it was an investment property, et cetera, is it truly a first time home buyer? Is it FHA passable? Because if that's where the majority of the market that we believe is gonna buy your home is financed, then if you don't have the house that can speak to that and pass that, then it's truly not a first time home buyer.
0: I like some of the houses I see in the MLS and it's funny, you know, because we do the best we can and we try to we try to talk it up without you know, lying. We're never lying. It's a sales pitch. It's our job. It absolutely is. We have to make it sound as good as it is. And when we say well-maintained and it's like, I start to think to myself and kind of do a, like a little paradigm shift here. It's like, okay, you can maintain a home, but are you improving on a home over the the last 30 years of your ownership? Correct. Um, because you can see it's well-maintained, but you can also see that it's lacking in updates. Yeah. You know, most people people, pay
1: attention to it.
0: Absolutely. Most people want, you know, some, there's different cupboard styles along along the way. There's different flooring Hardware. styles. No one wants carpet in their kitchen anymore.
1: Or in their bathroom. <laughs> or in their bedroom. Ba- <laughs> but if you do, and you do have that strong integrity home that's been maintained, and it's, it's almost museum-quality 1960s violet-colored carpet. Good for you. Style. But <laughs> immediately, sellers, what someone's going to say about that is, well, that's got to go. Someone's going to say it. Yep. You know, Maybe you're not going to say it. Maybe your Aunt is not going to say it. Maybe your neighbor loves your violet carpet. But I'm willing to bet with the group of buyers are out there that are watching HGTV, you know how I like to rip on Chip and Joanna all the time, yeah. but they're going to see that that's got to go, and they immediately start tallying up the price of what it's going to cost to do that. And so what do you think happens there, guys? It's coming off the price. And again, it's not that we're going to lay down and take that sellers. That's not what I'm saying. It's that, again, the importance of you thinking like a buyer. So um, it might be in great condition, but it's not stylistically what a contemporary buyer is looking for.
0: Current. It's not current. And And it's okay. Because it's gonna, it's still sellable, and and that's where it is. That could be a starter home. It could be. It is move-in ready. You can move into it.
1: Let's talk about what move-in ready means, because that drives me nuts too. Yeah.
0: So I mean, <laughs> it, it, this was you know going to be later on, but yeah, let's talk move-in ready. What does it mean? Move-in ready. It goes along with our starter home kind of talk. Is it, we don't have to do anything ridiculous structural improvements. Right. The roof is not falling, and the house is not currently leaking. We do not have to replace ceilings. We do not have to tear out walls. There
1: are appliances.
0: There are appliances. (laughs) We do not have to refinish floors because it's, I've refinished floors and I don't think I can do it with my furniture in the house. (laughs) No. It's just, And I don't know where I'd put my furniture. Right. Where am I going to move my couch upstairs? (laughs) That's a terrible, terrible task. Right. And to be able to have to live in that, you know, and you have to vacate the house when you do that because it's just the things that go along with it
1: so it might be clean and immaculate and there might be some linoleum in the bathroom somewhere but if it's nice and fresh and neutral and or you don't like that there's yellow tiles in the bathroom but and they did just didn't quite get to updating that but you can move you yourself your family in there and work room by room technically that's moving ready now if you think moving ready is uh, all gray and white vinyl plank flooring all of that contemporary this that, whatever. That would, yes, that's move in ready, of course, as well, but that's also completely updated to a particular standard that some home buyers like right now. Not everyone likes that, but a lot of people do. You gotta have a little vision. And so, sellers, when you're looking at your house, one thing I always ask sellers, well, You know, And I ask them what their price is, and I tell them what my range is. I always present a range to you, sellers, of what I'm thinking you're going to be. Because once we first have this conversation, I assume that you're going to maybe do a couple things in your house. You're going to take my suggestions. You're going to declutter. You're going to get rid of some things. Maybe you're going to paint a wall, do things like that. Maybe not. We have that discussion. But you're going to end up um, having a conversation with me at some point where I'm going to say, well, what would you pay for this house? and it's funny you have to listen for that answer because if the answer is not what they said their list price was going to be and they themselves are not going to pay for that house at the level that they're asking then what makes you think that somebody else is going to
0: yeah and i think it's either when you're listing a house and you go and you give your opinions and they can take it into account or they can't i think that it all boils down to it's either going to cost you some money or you're going to have to, you know, it's either going to cost you some money for improvements or it's going to cost you some money in your sales price.
1: And I want to talk about that thing that comes up a lot too, Josh, and you'll, you'll ring right in here too. So a lot of times when I'm meeting with sellers, no matter what the condition of their house is, sometimes it's in fabulous shape. Don't get me wrong. Sometimes it's completely updated. Sometimes it's in it's well-maintained But it maybe um, cosmetically isn't up to a 2023 standard. Sometimes there are some repairs that need to be done. But when the seller says to me, I'm selling this as is, what does that mean to you, Josh? And because I know what the seller means to me when they say that as their agent and how we're going to prepare and frame this listing. However, it's not something I want to write into the listing and why.
0: I think when people say as is, that means it is what it is, this is what they get, you want it or take it. And you know, here we are.
1: And the buyers immediately like, well what's wrong with that? Probably not a darn thing. Right. But when you say as is, and I get it. There are some listings out there. I'm not dissing all my colleagues out there who write as is in the listing. I get it. Sometimes it isn't an estate. It is the deal. There aren't funds. There aren't wherewithal for anyone to touch a thing. So I get that. But that's what that means to me. When you have a house that's a great house, but you're going to say as is, you're lumping yourself into this other category of home that I don't think you're serving yourself well by marketing it that way.
0: Well, and immediately, as if I'm representing a buyer and someone says that someone brings that to my attention, well, it says as is, I'm already thinking, that's fine. I don't want them to fix anything anyways, because, like I said previously, a seller is going to try and fix it as affordably as possible mm-hmm. so because it, it all comes off their net, net line. Their yep. net bottom line in the net proceeds of the sale, right? Whereas you might have a particular way or a particular person that you're going to want to have that repair done,
1: right? And the other thing I always have to remind sellers of too is you say right now as is, but. Remember when we talked about financing types on this house and you okay. said you wanted it to be 100% financeable because you want to um, cast the widest net for buyers, but okay, you accepted an FHA offer and here comes the FHA appraisal and they say you've got to put up handrails and you got to deal with the peeling paint on the outside and all that. And all of a sudden to sell that house, if you want that deal to go through, it isn't as is.
0: Right. You're <laughs> going to have to either make the repairs, you're going to have to wait, keep it in escrow, you're going to have to do something to remedy the requirement of that agency
1: and it comes down to so. do you want to sell the house time is money when you hang on to the house for a long time a lot of times sellers will push back and say well i don't need to sell this or i'm not in a hurry i understand that and that's Very well true, however, time is money. You're paying taxes, you're paying utilities, et cetera. Days on the market, now people are paying attention. Your first two weeks are the most critical time period of a listing. If you've exceeded that, there's a reason why, and you're, you've missed an opportunity. With, with a price adjust, adjustment or an improvement after that two weeks, if you don't go under contract, you have another waiver, an opportunity to get some more buyers in there. Yeah. Maybe the marketing plan that includes an open house, et cetera. But you're going to have to show something and do something. So that's why I get really leery about that whole as is. Because if your motivation is to sell the home, don't put your foot in your mouth. You know, you might find that later on, you're willing to make that $500 repair to get top dollar Within the first two weeks to a month on the market, versus you're sitting there six months later kicking yourselves that you didn't invest that small nominal amount and here you've dropped it down tens of thousands of dollars.
0: Right, yeah. So we've talked about, you know, starter home, we've talked about move in ready as is, and these all build into the thing that we are most sensitive to, which is price. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and we talk about price and we like to represent that in data. You know, we like to go at a price range, like you said with data. Um, you know and some people just don't see it that way but that's really what we have to go by and anybody any buyer working with another agent they're also gonna do the same thing they're looking at the comps they're looking at the sales they're advising their client they're like yeah it's a little over it's a, it is a little overpriced you know but how bad do you want the house mm-hmm. you know if you do want it let's go look at it and let's right. make an offer on it
1: and is there anything else on the market at that time so while it's a scientific um, thing you guys hear us say this all the time there's a scientific side to this we want to look at the comps we want to have the data there's very good reasons to that however there's some emotional things that we play to
0: a lot of emotional things especially in, in uh, primary residences and personal properties um, yeah but I think it's important to look at though you know the median home price and this is another National Association of Realtors fact um, in 2022 the median price of a home this is nationally again nationally
1: across different the, in our area but
0: whole country is uh you know it was $354,000 in and this in this uh in this year it is, 400, what is it, 359?
1: So it went up a little bit, yeah, is the maximum. Yeah. Um, you know, maximum was, um, you know, 413.8. Um, and so yep. there's been a 13 decrease from that peak of that super seller's market a out Thirteen po- Yeah,
0: 13% uh, decrease. And really what I'm getting at with that fact is that we're almost back to
1: yeah.
0: earth, right? You know, it hasn't quite gotten there yet and it's still kind of sticker shock to some folks, but, first time home buyers, uh, experienced buyers, have no fear. Right. It is returning. Yeah. And sellers, pay attention to that as well. Right. Because sellers need to be cognizant of what the market is doing. Exactly. Because if you're listing your house now or you plan to list your house, you know, oh, I'm just I'm going to wait until here. All right, well, it is it is decreasing. So if you want the value, unless something happens in the market, you may find that our list price m- might have to be adjusted. So the number that I said now mm-hmm. is based on now's data. Right. 6 month, you know, 6, 3 months from now could be different. Right. It is it is decreasing, but that's what we know.
1: And you and you might say, "Well, okay, cuz a couple of things Josh and I want to contextualize this NAR fact because Uh, A couple of things. I think it's important for folks in our area, our our immediate service location here in the Glow region, um, you should be cognizant of what's going on nationally, but then we also have to drill down and and talk about really what is the average sales price in our area specifically. And it depends, and it's all over the place.
0: I think I saw that the average sales price, and maybe you have a better figure on this, but it was about 154, average mortgage, I think, was written as $154,000. So
1: I'm thinking it's around 180 around there in in some cases. Um, And that has gone up in our area. So, you know, when people hear this national number, you know, and they're, I've got friends from California, or I just moved back from California. And this would, this house would be $500,000 if it were in California. It's not in California.
0: Well, and those are the people you have to watch out for too, because people are leaving California and the high, high cost of living States and they're moving to other areas. And so they're coming in and they're, you throw these folks in the buyer pool that are used to seeing, yeah. you know, not as good of properties. And they're like, this is cheap
1: and we still get we get bang for our buck here you know so for those of us that are from here or lived here for a long time have been through a, diff- a couple of different markets several different markets in your lifetime you know that on average, the average sale price of a house around here—that's expensive for us. Yeah. As are the rents. You know, let's let's include you know investors as sellers in this conversation too. You might be buying that investor property a little higher than you did years ago, but you know that your rents are going to make up for your ROI, etc. So there is that. You have to contextualize it. But the other thing I was just talking to a client about this this morning is. We still have really reasonable prices of homes. Now our taxes are insane. Yeah, we don't like that. We don't like that, but the Nobody cost does. of the houses is kind of under control to an extent because of that to offset that. So that's something to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So you know, when we talk about price, what are we doing to what are we doing for our sellers when we price our homes? Why would we do that?
1: So you know, immediately, um, I never do a comparative market analysis until I actually visit the home. But what I do initially, I think that's important. It, super, because you know. I I can look up, number one, let's back it up. I look up all my data. So I I talked about this on a post a couple weeks ago, um, doing the CMA and and getting prepped for a a seller meeting. I go into the tax records. I go into um, a couple of the tools that realtors have access to, the MLS, Realist, and I start by the numbers trying to get the facts and figures on the house as they're reported online because... That's what's so important, guys, about us meeting with you in person at your home that you're going to sell sellers because maybe you added a bathroom and that's not captured on the tax record. Maybe now you have this great new addition or an outbuilding or you've done all these updates. So basically what I'm doing initially is going through all my data points. And giving, you know, within a school district, and city, um, you know, address, all those things, radial um, comparative market analysis based on square footage, bedrooms, baths, et cetera, any specific wow features. And I try to come up with a range on that. Now, when I come to meet you in your home, I'm not giving that up yet. I might share with you the tax information that I found about your home to confirm with you whether or not that's still accurate.
0: Right, and I like to go present a... Uh... Um, a market report, a neighborhood report—that's an excellent uh, tool. You know, it's not quite a, a comparative market analysis. You know, when I go visit a seller, you know, we haven't de- we haven't determined yet that I'm going to sell the house. Right. So I want to I want to present you know some data that's going to you know reflect to you the seller. What's going on in the neighborhood?
1: Here's what's going on in the hood, because they're, you know, by and large gonna say, Well, Aunt Sarah, yep. down the street, they blah sure blah blah. So you can say, Yes, you're right, here it is. So here's maybe what's been happening in the last year. Yeah. But let's also pay attention to what's been happening in the last six months to three months because now we're pricing differently.
0: And that's what I leave them with. I leave them with that's usually, a good piece. usually on, on my first visit, I leave them with the with the market report in the neighborhood. And because I say, Hey, there's a lot here, there's probably, you know, ten or eleven pages, but there's graphs, there's numbers. You can't just look through it all and just understand it. Read through it. There's words, you know, see what's going on. Is it going up? Is it going down? Are we kind of neutral and flat? You know, what's what's happening? And then you can kind of take that, digest it. Let's set another meeting. I'm going to send you an email or a phone call. Let's follow up and see what you're feeling now.
1: It's the first of many conversations I tell all my clients, but certainly with the topic of sellers, It's one conversation. It's that first meeting. It's looking at the home. It's talking about the improvements, making an inventory of that. um looking at the condition. Tell me what's funky about the house. Tell me what's odd. Tell no one knows your home whether you're the owner-occupant or not, more than you, Mr. and Mrs. Seller. So we're trying to glean all that great information from you. Um, so we do that. Uh, we bring that information together. Josh has that great report he leaves right away. I do something similar, a basic stats thing. And then we we schedule that follow up appointment, and at that, that point in time, we're bringing comparable properties with us.
0: Absolutely, I was just going to lead into that as well because you, by that time, you kind of get an idea of what they have in their mind. Mm-hmm. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to go back to the MLS, I'm going to search up properties in that range, and I'm going to and I'm going to print the photos out mm-hmm. with the yes. with those listings. That's key. And I'm gonna say, okay, here we are. Uh, does this look or compare? It's similar to your property to the property that we're dealing with and we have to be honest with ourselves and and it's not good and it's not bad sometimes they're better sometimes they're worse right and we can go higher this is good news yeah. you thought you were gonna get 149 but i really really think with supply levels which you can't really see right and the condition of your property right you know this is a 149 property right now right oh well we have, right. we have beautiful finished hardwood floors we have. We just did all this work to this to the woodwork around the windows, doors, and trims. We have, you know, beautiful glasswork in here. Right. Wow. Well, okay. This is going to be something.
1: Yeah. Then you we know? talk about the qualitative stuff. What are unique yeah. features? Uh, what are the things you're going to play up? Are you going to do any repairs? And so maybe you're having that conversation a month out before your target listing date with your agent. Maybe you're interviewing several agents. You can. You should. Um, see what value each of those folks brings. Um, but you're. You have to be, the agents must be continually um, monitoring, excuse me, the the market as you move forward to that listing date because things change. All of a sudden, the perfect comp showed up where it wasn't there before. Or all of a sudden, oh dear, I see that this one didn't sell at that. They actually took 10 less and now how's that going to impact what we did? So it's really important up until the day you are listing, it's the last thing I ever put on the listing paperwork is that price because we're monitoring it all the way up to that day
0: yeah and so we're talking that we know we've gone over what you think about for price and then we're we're talking about the markets as well but then we're going to talk about a strategy right so when we list it what are we going to what are you going to do to market my house how are we going to price it so that we attract it and end at our goal price or close to, right. I would say if we end within 5 or 10% of your list price, you're probably doing okay, mm-hmm. um, depending on what market we're in. So what is the, what is the strategy? Do we price it right at where it needs to be? And there's enough market activity to where the people are going to come through. Do we price it a little lower? Do we price it a little lower to get people looking at it kind of like the log cabin for two eighty-nine on five and a half acres? <laughs> yeah. You know, I just and to me, when I saw that, I was like, this is a four hundred thousand dollar property. And I looked at the price, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is crazy.
1: And that's a little crazy because here, <laughs> here's the thing with that too. So yeah. you're gonna you're gonna create a problem for your seller and yourself if you list it too low, because then all of a sudden you're gonna be flooded with offers. Twenty people, offers. People throwing it in. And here's the deal, you've got to Take all that in, those offers, and you've got to digest them, and you've got to then present them. And when it's overwhelming and it's crazy and it's all over the board, you really haven't priced it right. It's, There's
0: too many variables.
1: It's about a recruitment funnel, truly. I mean, you got to know what your target is and get there. So the answer to that is price it right. And that means it's just like as is or moving ready. It, it's a little different for everybody, but you got to go back to the comps, recent comps as much as possible. List it as low as you can within that range is what I would recommend, yeah. but don't list it too low.
0: Right. Because then it's just going to be overwhelming and confusing. Yeah. You're not going to know which direction to go. It's going to be hard to compare because there's too many factors. Yeah. And it's going to get confusing. And then maybe you've missed out you yeah. missed out on the sure thing I'd say probably what if you had three or four offers You've done it just right.
1: Yep, great offers. And every single one of them have their nuances where you think this alone is a great offer. And how do those compare? Because that sellers, that can be overwhelming. When we're sitting there, actually when we get to the point of having offers and sitting down presenting those to you, we've got to do it in a way that makes sense to you. It's a lot to digest. We know that these offers are 26 plus pages long in some cases. We're going to dissolve that all down into the necessary stuff. You're You're going to have the opportunity to read through every single offer as you wish as well but where do we begin by sifting and panning for gold with what we've got so when you've got 20 offers how are you really doing that
0: yeah I hope you have you know as a as an agent your agent should have some sort of tool you know or sheet to really compare all of those line items in in the same area you know because it does get confusing you can't go through each contract and remember all the uh, all the other details. You have to compare them side by side, right. and then you have to weight the weight the areas. This is my opinion. You have to weight the areas. This is really important. This is really important. Eh, it's not so much important, but it holds some some factor into it. Right. You know, price is good. That's obviously we want a good price. Earnest money deposit again. That shows how serious they are. Mm-hmm. Mortgage type. You know that shows how you know how much they want it. But, uh, you know, terms and conditions. Terms and conditions. Coming back, bring it back to terms and Mm -hmm. conditions. It always, you know, comes back to that, but really it's, you have to compare them in a a visual way that makes sense to your sellers.
1: So that's apples to apples. Yeah, Uh, that's for sure. And I think, you know, a lot of times I have conversations, and again, when the market's changing, and it is, guys, it's balancing. So sometimes you think you've priced this thing absolutely right, and it's lower, and you're like, oh, boy. But then it was great. You know, we yielded the offers, we came to one that we accepted, we got the price, everyone's thrilled. Okay, great, awesome. A lot of times, you know, and I, I rather that I rather that you're right on the money or a little bit lower because you're going to broaden the approach. You get more flies with honey than you do vinegar. OK, that's personally where I stand in this current market. My opinion is probably going to change. My strategy might change as the market changes. However, yeah. I often hear sellers say, well, I want to start at X amount. Yeah. And if I, I got to lower the price, I will. Again, it's that critical first two weeks. So if you know, I want to try for this. Okay, I understand that. And again, it's the seller's prerogative. And we can, but if we don't have anything to substantiate it, and we're there too, we miss those two days on the market, those two first uh, weeks on the market, critical traffic and all of that, it doesn't yield an offer, you better start paying attention to the feedback we get. And if you're two weeks on the market and you've got a great home and a good good location, good condition, et cetera, and you don't have the traffic number one and or the offers in this market still, I would say it's your price.
0: So we have control over a lot of this, right? We have control over the condition for the most part. We have control over, you know, move in ready. We have control over the price, but I'd say what we really don't have control over is the location. Correct. As a seller, you don't get to control your location. Where you are is where you are. Good point. And so that's really, you know, what do we do about that? What do we do about, you know, Something that, it might be an okay location, but it's not a hot location. How can we maximize that or give advice to maximize making a, I don't, want to say a ba- I don't want to say bad, because it doesn't necessarily have to be bad, you know, a less than desirable location, more attractive?
1: Well, I think that's a really good question. I think it's always a case-by-case case scenario, what we're talking about. Sometimes location is a physical, like that particular town. A lot of people don't want to be there or location in the village or town or wherever it is is great but it's a shared driveway yeah. or it's so close to my neighbor so it's it's a combination quasi condition location flood, thing.
0: flood zone flood
1: zone you know huge, i love this house it's huge
0: here yeah because there's a lot of beautiful sides <laughs> yeah. a, a lot of beautiful houses and gavin and i are very partial to the south, south side, side of batavia because yeah. we grew up there yeah. and we think it's a really nice part of town
1: and so what it's in a flood zone
0: and, but it is in a flood zone but your buyers
1: sellers are going to care about that
0: it's a it's a a turnoff to some folks Mm -hmm. it's an additional cost Mm -hmm. that will probably you're you're probably never going to have to use it right um and so the people see it as you know sunk money and they don't want to deal with it if they don't have to so Uh, if
1: you know the location's got something going on with it and like josh said not necessarily anything you can control you're the one that bought the house you were well aware of that yeah that thing better be in great condition then and the price better be spot on. So even if that same house, you were to pick it up and move it a couple blocks over or a different town or set up, whatever, because I hear it all the time. Well, the same house virtually sold for X over there. Okay, it was over there, though. Yeah. I'm, so you're so talking five grand less right off the bat if you've got a, a situation going on with your condition. I, sorry, live the, I, live,
0: I live in that that kind of you know situation right now. If my house were oh, yeah. two streets over, mm-hmm. it probably would sell for... I don't, you know I don't yeah. know but 20
1: percent higher than probably what you know just for the sheer fact of the location
0: exactly mm-hmm. and I'm not in a bad location mm-hmm. you know but that's the way it is yep you know and it's okay
1: and we hear all the time too you know um you know again sellers got to think like buyers buyers have these these preconditioned things in their head that you know relative to what Josh was saying with the city of Batavia and the flood zones and all that. There's so many times buyers will say, "Well, I don't want anything there because I don't want the flood zone." Well, guess what house they fall in love with? <laughs> yeah. And guess what? Do, what they end up putting an offer in on. So, and why is that? Because the house checked all the other boxes. Your buyer's going to put an offer in on your home when it checks ninety percent of their boxes. So if yep. that ten percent box that was remaining that wasn't checked is your location, you better make, and you can't do anything about that, you better make sure everything else is excellent. The mechanicals are great, structurally sound, all of these things, some updates, etc. And at the end, it all backs into price. So all these things are circular and they feed one another.
0: And I would say, you know, initial impressions are important. So if you do have a home that's in a less desirable area, then you better make sure your curb appeal is on point Mm -hmm. you know if it's springtime and you have you know the ability right now it's you know blizzarding out and you don't really it's all (laughs) snow hey what's the lawn look like oh it's white right you know but you better make sure your lawn is cut it's well manicured your flower beds are are good it's not overwhelming the vegetation around the house your shrubs and plants are well trimmed Mm -hmm. your house if it's paint needs if it's, it's painted you know make sure it's okay it's decent make sure the home maybe wash it Make, if it needs to be power washed, get all that dirt and it's grime off It's such a great
1: thing to do, and it makes a house brighten right up, and it just, you know, power wash your driveway, your sidewalks, and things like that. Look at the visuals that we give you in the CMA. That's yeah. the reason why we give them, too. So if this house sold at 425 look at the photos. How does your house compare in its current state to those photos? Because that's what it took for that thing to sell at $425.
0: Make sure your window treatments look nice from the outside, you know, because people can see your curtains. You know, is it just plain blinds or do you have, you know, nice curtains? Are they hung back? Are they draped over? What's going on?
1: Staging is a big thing. So, you know, you can rely on your agents for that too. So some of you are selling your house with you in it, which is always a challenge and we help manage that. You know, we're being respectful of your time and your space. We realize you're not in a museum. You're living at home, um, and you know that's that's a, another topic altogether. Probably we we talk about that, but if this house is vacant, some light staging that makes sense that gives the the suggestion to buyers of a wide variety of what they can do with this house and how they can see themselves in it is important, and we can advise on that too.
0: Yeah, and it's an important, like you said, to you know when you stage it, don't personalize it though.
1: I like when you say that josh that's say that again and explain to sellers really what that means so. when
0: you stage a home don't personalize it it's not what you like it's what the buyer is going to like sellers need to think like buyers and so you need to do something neutral it, it's okay we have a, a couch not you know the sectional wraparound sofa with the chaise lounger and the double recliner it's this big chunky thing it's, you've got a couch and a, and a sofa and a love seat, mm-hmm. and, or maybe a couch and a, a chair. Right. You know, with a throw rug and a table, a, a general plain coffee table. Right. Not the vintage 50s hardwood with the, you know, feet
1: on it. Yeah. And if that's what you have access to, folks, that's what we're here for again, too. We're going to pick and choose with you. I get questions all the time. Will you come back and tell me what I should get rid of, et etc.? Of course. Yeah. I can tell you, first and foremost, whether you are living in the house you're selling at the same time or not, declutter. And it takes a lot more time than you think. And it's exhausting and it's a work in itself and so when you're talking about your timeline for listing you got to build these deliverables in a lot of times our clients will call us and say do you know of a service where people will come and do this for me we do um, and I'm telling you they're busier than heck so if you want to start another business (laughs) that's a great business to start but it's you've got people don't want to come in and see your things they don't want to see personal photos of you and your family they don't you don't want to present your home that's going to attach a buyer to who you are. They're supposed to be there looking at the house. So, I tell people get rid of personal photos. If you can neutralize colors, great. If this is the furniture you have to work with, 50% of it's got to go. I'm not necessarily ever going to ask you to redo the house to sell the house, but yeah. we have to position it in the best light possible.
0: Well, and I think it's not it I think it's important to say that we're not asking you to depersonalize it because we don't want to see you it's because we want the buyer to see themselves correct and you said it this is a different way to say it we want them not to pay attention to who's in it currently Mm -hmm. and form an opinion or any any type of way because they will i want them to see themselves in there i Mm -hmm. want them to go through the house and say oh man, my couch My couch would look good here. Yeah. I've got a really cool papasan that mm-hmm. would go over there and it would just be cozy in that nook.
1: And so when they like, turn to their partner, yes. they turn to whomever and say, this is where the holiday decor is going to yeah. go, whatever. They're probably ready to put the offer in, but you've given them the opportunity and you've presented your home in such a way that they're able to do that. If you put up the roadblocks with too much personalization, and stuff, per se, yep. that they can't even open the closet, <laughs> there's a problem. Which, by the way, there are some places you can hide your things, because a lot of sellers will always say, "But well, what do I do with this stuff? Yeah. You know where is fair game? Your closets, as long as we can still open them. Your garage, if you've got one. The basement. People understand, and it's part of that process as the listing agent, working with the buyer's agent, or actually working directly with the buyers, that, um, listen, someone's living here. And so we're being respectful. We understand that it's going to look a little bit different by the time you come back through here and we're under contract and we close. But, you know, we know that you're not living in a museum.
0: Yeah. So really, I mean, and that's what you can, that's what we can do. So when when location is just out of our control, we focus on the things we can control. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and that's going to be, you know, the staging, the price and the condition. Cause even in the condition although it's still a little bit harder to control your condition there's things you can do absolutely we've already covered it we've talked about it you know some of it is just you know lighter lighter stuff some of it's like well maybe Maybe before you list it, maybe do put a new kitchen in it, and that is a project.
1: And maybe that's, and then a lot of people will say, well, if I was going to do that, I'd be staying here then. Well, then again, so if you're up to that,
0: so do you want to sell it? Yeah. Right. (laughs) Maybe you you
1: don't. You know, because
0: if you put a new kitchen in it, you're going to love it too much, and you don't want to let it go. Then maybe you don't. And that
1: happens too. You know, after we look at comps with people, and they realize, oh my God, I didn't realize really what I had here. Don't spend
0: two fifty for the kitchen you want. Spend ten and get the kitchen
1: you want. Right. Right. You
0: can keep the house, and you can spend ten, or just if that's the only thing that's driving you away, you don't really want to sell the house, spend the $10,000, get the, get the, get the money out. You know, don't go get another mortgage for $250,000. You know, when you're going to sell your house for what, 150? I don't know. It it depends. I'm making stuff up now, but.
1: No, but it's, (laughs) but you have to, you have to think in terms of all that. One thing I want to go off script here, Josh, and ask your opinion about, because I think our listeners are going to be, uh, you know, interested to know this. What about the marketing plan? How, what, you know, I know it's always gonna depend on the particular property itself, um, the goals of the owner, but let's talk about things like when you're sitting with your client and you're getting ready to list and they say, so how are you gonna market this and what's part of the, plan? what are the activities involved? Where am I gonna see this home featured, et cetera. What, what do you do?
0: Well, it all depends on what type of property it is, right? You know, or who you see buying that property. Um, you know, if it's a downsizer property and somebody, who is going to move in there might be older. Maybe they still read print media. Maybe we're going to run a print ad on that. Mm -hmm. Maybe if it's, you know, maybe it is a smaller home and it could be, you know, a single person or a couple. Maybe they're into social. We might run some social ads, you know, or we might do some, you know, newer stuff, some... Facebook Reels, some, you know, some tours, some virtual tours, right? Uh, Drone some, photography, some branded tours. You know, and, and there's services in, in our area that offer that as well. They can take a walkthrough, 360 walkthrough tours of the property, yeah. And people might think that's pretty, pretty snazzy.
1: And that's pretty cool because you know there is a <laughs> phenomenon that's still I'm experiencing that's continuing that folks are kind of <laughs> catching on that. Oh my goodness, you know, Batavia is equidistant between Buffalo and Rochester, but the the price of the homes are reasonable and I can commute and blah, blah, blah. Great. So we do have to have an online presence in my opinion, because we are oftentimes attracting people from out of area.
0: Yeah. And we're going to, you know, obviously we have services and the MLS is going to push that out to as many resources as possible. And and it's just, it all depends on who you see buying the house. That's where we're going to focus our, you know, advertising dollars, uh, Because again, we advertise we pay for the advertising. yep, It's not always a just, oh, this is what happens when you sell your house. Right. It just magically appears in this, <laughs> in this in these spheres of influence. And it's
1: something we work really hard at because you're <coughs> you know, you take you when you're contracting with us and working with us to sell your home, it comes with it all of these uh wizardry things that we do behind the scenes, and that's that's when when you're interviewing your agent, you should be asking about the marketing plan. Um, you know, just to touch on it a little bit, because it's something that's coming and going too. Um, folks will often ask about, um, well, you know, are you going to do an open house or not? Or are we going to do that thing where offers do are due by such and such time or a delayed negotiation? Yeah. Um, there's all these tools and tricks. And I think, it, again, it always depends on the house and what the goals are of the seller, of course. If you've got a house that's in pristine condition, great location, you realize that there's going to be a lot of traffic. It's got to be priced right so we're not just, you know... We got to filter a little bit, but we might do a marketing plan wherein you, it goes live as a listing, maybe on a Wednesday. Um, The seller maybe has requested that, got to sell this thing sooner than later. So we pump it in those next two weeks. So it goes live on Wednesday. Maybe we have an open house on Saturday. Maybe offers are due by the following Wednesday or Friday. We give an opportunity for people to do private showings in addition to second showings in addition to that open house opportunity um, if we delay negotiations at all. Some sellers might want to say, nope, take the offers as they come. I find that sellers have a big opinion about that. What do you think, Josh? Delayed negotiations versus no delayed negotiations.
0: It's, you have to discuss the caveats of both. And so you find them once you've, it sounds nice to delay negotiations because your mind automatically goes to the, the swarm mm-hmm. that's going to be <laughs> circling the property, just waiting to put in their offer. Maybe, yeah. But, and this is the caveat to that. What if it doesn't happen?
1: And don't don't be sad if it doesn't, because here's what it says to me. Um, this is one way I've presented it to my sellers, Josh. It's, it's a good way to test your price. So yep. when they come in a little bit higher than where I want to in my range for price, I say, okay, we can try that out. Um, but this is what I recommend. Let's, get the, make, let's do whatever we can in our mar- marketing plan to make sure we get the feedback. We get the traffic and we get people in here to give us the feedback. Because if we go on the market, have an open house or two, um, have offers due by a certain time, and we got nada, what does that say? Yes. There's price Remember condition one of location. Those three price condition location so it's a really good way to test the price if we only had one or two showings no offers in hand in the feedback we got from the open house or the showings etc and they kept saying love the house great location a little bit too much for us we need to pay attention to that yeah because if you're still of the mindset that, yeah, Gav, I want this to sell sooner than later, we're still fresh on the market. We're still not a stale listing. If we respond to that feedback right away, we're still in that first month. And if we drop it like it's hot, just even a little bit, here's a phenomenon that happens all the time. Where I found of people, um, the listing agent um, works with the seller to drop the price, maybe even 5 to 10, they end up getting what they originally Listed it for. It's a psychological game with the buyers. Sometimes they don't want to go up against all that competition.
0: Well, because then all of a sudden you drop at ten, and then
1: the three three
0: people that were waiting for it goes, "Oh, it's in my range." Boom, now you're fighting.
1: Yeah, and you don't want to lose those people. They did come out there. And here's the other thing with sellers too. If somebody does go in and put the offer out. Now, you know, if you listen to our buyers episode, we were very anti-lowball offer. But if you've got a listing that's been sitting there for a little bit, maybe we're three to four weeks on the market, et cetera. The feedback's been rather consistent about the price, et cetera. But the first offer comes in and you're a little disappointed sellers because the sales price is maybe a little lower than it's not even at list price give that buyer some credit. They were brave enough to put it together. They wanted to put it together. They put an offer in there. They're not necessarily trying to um, offend you, but they're paying attention to all the indicators here. They did put it out there. And can we work with this person? You don't ever have to accept the offer, but if there's an offer that comes in that we can work with, we can counter it. You can counter it. Yeah. You can counter the price and you can
0: see if there, is that really what the only thing they're willing to pay? Or is it just like, well they're also testing your motivation right man I don't know maybe they are motivated to get rid of this they're trying to leave state and you know we're doing they've been on market for four weeks they're being held up right you know you try to paint a story with every property that you're going in and try to understand as much detail you know not only to use against but understand what they want and that's how you craft your offer yeah we've already spoke about that but you know it's not a say all end all just because you've got the, you know, the offer, the number. It's let's counter it. Let's right. see. Let's make a deal.
1: You never have to accept that offer. Let's make a deal. <laughs> but it's, it's we, you know, your agent's going to talk to you about days on the market, what traffic we've gotten, what feedback we've gotten. That's yeah. all an exercise to that. There's a reason why we collect that information and share it with you. And do understand we're the messenger you know sure. it's not that it's our personal opinion that your house should be xyz but we are there to share with you as the conduit to your sale to share with you that feedback so that you can make the decision that works best for you that's really critical another thing i see a lot too is you have to understand that the today's buyer is a little bit more savvy in some ways um, than maybe yesteryear. So when you're really mad because your listing wasn't in the penny, penny saver five times <laughs> um, and you think that's not being advertised, that's not truly the case. Right. You have to understand through the power of the multiple listing service that we all subscribe to as professional agents that – your listing goes viral people are seeing it they're going to third-party sites if your agent utilizes social media uh word of mouth making phone calls there's a lot of things in that marketing that goes on behind the scenes they might have past sorry excuse me past clients that they thought this might be a good fit and they're making a phone call not everything is tangible in a piece of paper through the penny saver not to diss the penny saver i love the penny saver but do understand that your agent if they're worth their weight in gold is taking multiple channels
0: yeah to each, represent each your media sale. type has its audience yep. and we're just trying to find what audience is trying to look for your property yep and I like you know we we try to connect the dots Yep. and that's it and that's what we're doing we're trying to connect the dots we're trying to we're trying to find or take what you're selling and find who's looking for it right that's the game
1: yep You got it.
0: As simple as can be, that's the game. You know, I'm oversimplifying. Right. Way oversimplifying. It is.
1: And we could have a whole other episode on marketing. I think that's part of the charge to the sellers is that, you know, when you meet with a listing agent, they're going to provide to you, at least they should, what a a sale contract looks like, all the paperwork, et cetera. All of that's boilerplate to an extent because we're all professionals that subscribe to these regional boards, et cetera. So where you're going to make the difference is what's the commission. Commission is typically 6%, you know, the entire thing. It just depends.
0: It's negotiable though.
1: It's negotiable.
0: It always is, mm-hmm. you know, and it is, it's, that's all I can say about it. You know, it's just, that's a conversation in itself
1: you're, you're because
0: right. you are, it's just like buying a car. What are you going to take? Yeah. What's the price? Right. How much is this going to cost me? Right. All right. Let's talk about it. What do you, you know, That's a whole nother.
1: So, those are things like you're going to get from any agent you talk to. I think, really, where you, an agent that you're interviewing to sell your home and work with you, it's a collaboration. I use that word a lot. It's all about how are they going to market it how are they going to meet your goals as quickly as possible and and hopefully we all we don't all have a crystal ball to use josh's favorite sentiment but to close as smoothly as possible and quickly as possible so i think that's where you need to pay attention to how what's the ability of this particular agent to reach that audience to get the results i'm looking for quickly and smoothly
0: yeah absolutely you know, I think we've just about covered all the things for, for sellers. And really it's just, I would, I would request of sellers because sometimes it's difficult because when you're selling your house, you, you have a lot of pride in it and maybe you've lived there for a lot of time, to- long time, and, you should. and you've, you've just got some emotional attachments to it, which is okay. But when somebody from the outside comes in we're not, we're not trying to tear you down. Nope. We're not trying to tear you apart. We're not trying to insult your home. We're not trying to... Degrade the work you might
1: objectify it.
0: (laughs) We're not trying to degrade the work that you've, you've put in into your home. Um, as Gavin said earlier, we we are the messengers. We like to present the data. Um, there's a a lot of science, a little art Mm -hmm. to it. Uh, we're trying to, we're trying to help you. Yep. And really that's what we've said from the beginning is we're here to help people. Uh, and that's what's going to serve everyone the best. So Try not to get offended. Try to look at it objectively. You know, not subjectively. Uh, it's just this is the job that we you know chose to do.
1: Yep, and communication <laughs> is and key. We're just I mean, to do it. a good relationship, a good collaboration, and good communication. You should experience that from second one when you meet that agent that you think might be listing your home for you. You should have yeah. that experience. You should be comfortable. And it's a it's a, one of a million conversations. You're going to have a full-blown relationship with this person throughout the process. Um, and I think both Josh and I come from a place where these, if they're not already friends and family, they end up being friends and family.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so look for, I would say, look for communication. Yep. A, a person who communicates uh, quickly, honestly, fairly is going to be someone who, may be worth working with.
1: Absolutely, for sure. So sellers, if you didn't listen to the buyer's episode... I would encourage you to go back and listen to those because I think again that gives you some of the background leading up to our episode today and I won't be surprised if we drill down into some micro topics for sellers especially as we get into this market and see what's changing and and once we get going with some of our own listings that are coming up we're probably gonna have some more stories to tell as well
0: yeah and I mean just to, you know coming up we already have our uh, first guest booked too so
1: Woo-hoo, which is yeah. really exciting we're gonna talk about mortgages soon so yeah,
0: super excited about that because it's not just gonna be us talking back and forth we're gonna Actually get to have a conversation with another industry professional and get their side of things because as much as we know our side, we don't know the whole side of what goes on behind, you know, the mortgage and the underwriting side. Absolutely. So and I, really exciting I'm
1: us. excited about that, too. So we have a great special guest that's coming that we're not going to reveal who that is yet. Yeah. And then we've got some other upcoming episodes where we're going to um, get some veteran agents in here as well. Um, some superstars, some local superstars and a whole gamut of things. So um, thanks for listening. Make sure you go back and listen to the rest of our episodes. Leave us a review. Make sure you subscribe. We are so grateful. Grateful for all of you that continue to listen and keep giving us that great feedback.
0: Yeah, and uh, so for that we put some market stats out there. I'm gonna put a link in the show description. So there's a nice little uh, like kind of PowerPoint show slideshow. You can see that data there. And I know you said social media. Where do people get us on social media? CAV
1: Get Real Estate Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. And don't forget to email us with your feedback, your comments. Hey, you want to be on the show? Something like that. That's gonna be Get Real Estate Podcast at gmail.com.
0: Thank you for tuning in with us today. We hope to see you next time. Until we're going to be then, doing this a lot again. more, so to be sure real, to leave us a review real. and a rating as it lets us reach more people and lets us know how we're doing. We hope you're doing well. Cheers until next time.